Greetings one and all once again back to Exploring Arda, a Tolkien-centered podcast where I'm your host Jackson and I go through a bunch of Tolkien's works other than Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Now this is going to be a part two of uh, Roll Random. <laughs> there you go. And uh, But before we go into that, uh, just little quick introductions here. Uh, so Exploring Arda audio version actually is <clears throat> part of the Bookworm Cinema Productions. <clears throat> and hopefully I'm not going to be coughing this whole time. So. But it is part of the Bookworm Cinema Productions uh, for audio versions, and then the video will be up on my personal one just with Exploring Arda. So check out that channel because it also includes uh, <laughs> Drink and Dried and hopefully some other spin-off shows that I'm actually working on for pretty much later this year. Don't know when they're going to be out, but uh, just... Just keep a uh, just stay tuned actually for either channel uh, just to see what we're planning on for the year. It's gonna be really fun. Also, uh, as like right behind me here, um, check out my book, The Lands of Ordia, Power of Heaven. It is available on Amazon, and I've worked very hard on this book. It is book one out of five, uh, my own fantasy series, and I would greatly appreciate it if you guys uh, got a copy and and read it <laughs> just to see what I've been working on. So. Uh, I appreciate all of you guys listening and watching, and I think with that being put uh, aside now, now we can go into Roverandom. Yes, part two. And I'm going to try to make this a part three, so three parts. So this is going to be the middle section. From last time, we pretty much ended up introducing who Rover is, you know, the, uh, the, the puppy that um, was chasing a, a man. Uh, just for the fun of it, and and bid him, and then the guys is like, well, you're a toy now. So and then he became a toy, and then ever since then he's pretty much trying to find a way to release him from this weird spell that he's in. And uh, we left off uh, last time, I, I think, approaching the man in the moon uh, as he is going further and further away from land. <laughs> so we left off pretty much there. So. We'll be reading quite a bit today, but I think because of that, I'm just going to get right into the story. So, here we go. To Rover's great surprise, a little door in the roof immediately opened, immediately opened close <laughs> beside him. Interesting. And an old man with a long silvery beard popped his head out. Not bad going, that, he said. I've been timing you ever since you passed over the edge. A thousand miles a minute, I reckon. You were in a hurry this morning. I'm glad you didn't bump into my dog. Where in the moon has he got to now, I wonder? He drew out an enormously long telescope and put it to one eye. There he is! There he is! He shouted, worrying the moonbeams again. Drat him! Come down, sir! Come down, sir! He called up into the air and then began to whistle a long, clear silver note. Rover looked up into the air, thinking that this funny old man must be quite man mad to whistle to his dog up in the sky. But to his astonishment, he saw far up above the tower a little white dog on white wings, chasing things that looked like transparent butterflies. Rover! Rover! called the old man. And just as our Rover jumped on Mew's back to say, Here I am! Without waiting to wonder how the old man knew his name, he saw the little dog, flying dog dive straight down out of the sky, sky and settle on the old man's shoulders. Then he realized that the man in the moon's dog must also be called Rover. He was not at all pleased. But as nobody took any notice of him, he sat down again and began to growl to himself. The man in the moon's rover had good ears, and he at once jumped onto the roof of the tower and began to bark like mad. 
and then he sat down and growled. Who brought that other dog here? What other dog? said the man. That silly little puppy on the seagull's back, said the moon dog. Then, of course, Rover jumped up again and barked his loudest. Silly little puppy yourself. Who said that you could call yourself Rover? A thing more like a cat or a bat than a dog. From what you can see that they were going to be very friendly before long. That is, anyway, how little dogs usually talk to strangers of their own kind. Oh, fly away, you two, and stop making such a noise. I want to talk to the postman, said the man. Come on, Tiny Tot, said the moon dog. And then Rover remembered what a tiny tot he was, even beside the moon dog who was only small, and instead of barking something rude, he only said, I would like to, if only I had some wings and knew how to fly. Wings? said the man in the moon. That's easy. Have a pair and be off. Mew laughed and actually threw him off his back, right over the edge of the tower's roof. But Rover had only, had only guessed once, and had only begun to imagine himself falling and falling down like a stone onto the white rocks in the valley miles below when he discovered that he got a beautiful pair of white wings with black spots to match himself. All the same, he had fallen a long way before he could stop, as he wasn't used to wings. It took him a while to get really used to them, though long before the man had finished talking to Mew, he was already trying to chase the moon dog around the tower. He was just beginning to get tired by these first efforts, when the moon dog dived down to the mountaintop and settled at the edge of the precipice at the foot of the walls. Rubber went down after him, and soon they were sitting side by side taking breath with their tongues hanging out. So you were called Rover after me, said the moon dog. Not after you, said our Rover. I'm sure my mistress had never heard of you when she gave me my name. That doesn't matter. I was the first dog that was ever called Rover, thousands of years ago. So you must have been called Rover after me. I was a Rover too. I never would stop anywhere, or belong to anyone before I came here. I did nothing but run away from the time I was a puppy, and I kept on running and roving until one fine morning. A very fine morning, with the sun in my eyes, I fell over the world's edge, chasing a butterfly. A nasty sensation, I can tell you. Luckily, the moon was just passing under the world at the moment, and after a terrible time falling right through the clouds and bumping into shooting stars and that sort of thing, I tumbled into it. Slap into one of the enormous silver nets that the giant gray spiders here spin from mountain to mountain, I fell, and the spider was just coming down his ladder to pickle me and carry me off to his larder when the man in the moon appeared. He sees absolutely everything that happens on this side of the moon with that telescope of his. The spiders are afraid of him, because he only lets them alone if they spin silver threads and ropes for him. Uh, he, he more than suspects that they catch his moonbeams, and that he won't allow, though they pretend to live only on dragon moths and shadow bats. He found moonbeams moon wings in that spider's larder, and he turned him into a lump of stone as quick as kiss your hand. Then he picked me up and patted me and said, That was a nasty drop. You had better have a pair of wings to prevent any more accidents. Now fly off and amuse yourself. Don't worry the moonbeams, and don't kill my white rabbits, and come home when you feel hungry. The window is usually open on the roof. I thought he was a decent sort, but rather mad. But don't you make that mistake about him being mad, I mean. I didn't really hurt his moonbeams or his rabbits. He can tell you in he can turn you into dreadfully uncomfortable shapes. Now tell me, why have you come with the postman? The postman, said Rover. Yes, Mew, the old sand sorcerer's postman, of course, said the moon dog. Rover had hardly finished telling the tale of his adventures when they heard the, the man whistling. Up they shot to the roof. There the old man was sitting with his legs dangling over the edge, throwing envelopes away as fast as he opened the letters. The wind took them whirling in, off into the sky, and Mew flew after them and caught them and put them back into his little bag. 
I've just been reading about you, Roverandom, my dog, he said. Roverandom, I call you, and Roverandom you'll have to be. Can't have two rovers about here. And I quite agree with my friend, oh, Samothos. I'm not going to put in any ridiculous pee to please him. Oh, so I was saying it right the first time. <laughs> uh, that you had better stop here for a little while. I have also got a letter from Artaxerxes, if you know who that is, and even if you don't, telling me to send you straight back. He seems mighty annoyed with you for running away, and with Samothos for helping you. But he, but we won't bother about him, and neither need you, as long as you stay here. Now fly off and amuse yourself. Don't worry the moonbeams, and don't kill my white rabbits, and come home when you are hungry. The window on the roof is usually open. Goodbye. He vanished immediately into thin air, and anybody who had ever never been there will tell you how extremely thin the air moon is. Alright, and uh, before we go further into the story, I do have a little picture, if I can show you guys. Basically, the, the tower that um, they end up uh, approaching, and his uh, rover's introduction to the man in the moon. So a little a little simple sketch, but I mean, hey, it's it's pretty cool. <laughs> I like it, it has a little detail. So yeah, he meets the man in the moon and he pretty much knows about everything. <laughs> At least that's the, that's the way I think it is. Oh yeah, also, um, here is um, what is gonna happen next, I assume, because it is captured, uh, cap, caption, sorry. The white dragon pursues Rove Random um, and the moon dog. So it's a back-to-back. -back, <laughs> sorry, I did not expect that. A back-to-back -back, uh, illustration thing for you guys. There you go. I guess you can kind of see it with that. Uh, another cool thing, and it's definitely like it reminded me of his his interpretation of smog, which I do actually have on my arm here. If you guys can see it, probably maybe, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, this is really cool. His, his, you can tell it's it's Tolkien's style. It's very cool. But uh, <laughs> to the story here, uh, yeah, Man of the Moon knows pretty much exactly what's going on. Everything, all of his, <clears throat> all of Rover's predicaments, and they have that you know quarrel of who's who's Rover and who's not. And then that's where he gets the name Rover Random because the Man of the Moon is just like, nah, there can't be two Rovers. So you're Rover Random, you're Rover. So <laughs> so that's that's that. And um. Yeah, so now we'll just uh, keep going on, so here we go. Well, goodbye, Roverandom, said Mew. I hope you enjoy making trouble among the wizards. Farewell for the present. Don't kill the white rabbits, and all will be, and all will yet be well, and you will get home safe, whether you want to or not. Then Mew flew off at such a pace then that before you could say whiz, he was a dot in the sky, and then had vanished. Rover was now only turned into toy size, but his name had been altered, and he was left all alone on the moon, all alone, except for the man in the moon and his dog. Rover Random, as we had better call him too, for the present, to avoid confusion, didn't mind. His new wings were great fun, and the moon turned out to be a remarkably interesting place, so that he forgot to ponder any more why Samothos had sent him there. It was a long time before he found out. In the meanwhile, he had all sorts of adventures, by himself and with the moon rover. He didn't often fly about in the air far from the tower, for in the moon, and especially on the white side, the insects are very large and fierce, and often so pale and so transparent and so silent that you hardly hear or see them coming. The moonbeams only shine and flutter, and Rover Random was not frightened of them. The big white dragon moths with fiery eyes were much more alarming, and there were swordflies and glass beetles with jaws like steel traps, 
and pale unicornists with stings like spears, and 57 varieties of spiders ready to eat anything they could catch. And worse than the insects were the shadow bats, and I have a little itch. There you go. Alright. Roverandum did what the birds do on that side of the moon. He flew very little except near at home, or in open spaces with a good view all around, and far from in insect hiding places, and he walked about very quietly, especially in the woods. Most things there went about very quietly, and the birds seldom even twittered. What sounds there were <laughs> were made chiefly by the plants. The flowers, the white bells, the fair bells, and the silver bells, the tingle bells and the ring of roses, <laughs> the rhyme royals and the penny whistles, the tin trumpets and the cream horns, a very pale cream, and many others with untranslatable names, made tunes all day long. And the feather grasses and the ferns, fairy fiddle strings, <laughs> poly... Poly polyphonies, sure, and brass tongues, and the kraken in the woods. And at first I was like, the kraken? But I'm like, no, 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 the kraken, and it gets it spelled differently. <laughs> and all the reeds by the milk-white ponds, they kept up the music softly, even in the night. In fact, there was always a faint, thin music going on. But the birds were silent, and very tiny, most of them were, hopping about in the gray grass beneath the trees, dodging the flies and swooping fl flutter, flutter bees or flutterbys. I'll say flutterbys. And many of them had lost their wings or forgotten how to use them. Roverandum used to startle them in their little ground nests as he stalked quietly through the pale grass, hunting the little white mice or snuffing after gray squirrels at, on the edge of the woods. The woods were filled with silver bells all ringing softly together when he first saw them. The tall black trunks stood straight up, high as churches out of the silver carpet, and they were roofed with pale blue leaves that never fell so that not even the longest telescope on Earth had ever seen those tall trunks or the silver bells beneath them. Later in the year, the trees all burst together into pale golden blossoms, and since the woods of the moon are very nearly endless, uh, no doubt that alters the look of the moon from below on the world. So, I'm going to do a little quick break here. I know that it was really fast, but it's just really cool. <laughs> uh, you can very much tell that it is <laughs> back to Tolkien's a very descriptive scenery especially in the in the environment and the names that he gives them and pretty much he just just something about the way that he just loves nature and you can tell that like when he writes this stuff that's his his comfort it's like really comforting place and i like for me i just really i really connect with that too because i love being in nature that's one of my favorite things and that's why i can't wait until like spring and summer because I, I, I'm outside so much. And because of this, because it's, I mean, I think Tolkien kind of had that too, where he had his, his his comfy place, and that's nature, and he's just like, well, let's describe that, let's put that into my books, so that other readers can feel that same joy and fascination of the world. So, <laughs> and that's just my thought, of course, but apparently in this story, the moon has a whole plethora of things <laughs> to explore and revel at, so... Very, very cool things, but we're going to go back into a story. <clears throat> but you must not imagine that all of Roverandum's time was spent creeping about like that. After all, the dog, dogs knew that the man's eye was on them, and they, did, and they did a good many adventurous things and had a great deal of fun. Sometimes they wandered off together for miles and miles and forgot to go back to the tower for days. Once or twice they went up into the mountains far away. Till looking back, they could see the moon tower only as a shining needle in the distance, and they sat on the white rocks and watched the tiny sheep, no bigger than the man in the moon's rover, wandering in herds over the hillsides. 
Every sheep carried a golden bell, and every bell rang each time each sheep moved a foot forward to get a fresh mouthful of gray grass. And all the bells rang in tune, and all the sheep shone like snow, and no one ever worried them. The rovers were much too well brought up, and afraid of the man to do so, and there were no other dogs in all the moon, nor cows, nor horses, nor lions, nor tigers, nor wolves. In fact, nothing larger on four feet than rabbits and squirrels, and toy size at that, except just occasionally to be seen standing solemnly in thought, an enormous white elephant almost as big as a donkey. I haven't mentioned the dragons, because they don't come into the story just yet, and anyway, they lived a very long way off, far from the tower, being all very afraid of the man in the moon, except one, and even he was half afraid. Whenever the dogs did go back to the tower and fly in at the window, they always found their dinner just ready, as if they, as if they had arranged the time. But they seldom saw or heard the man about. He had a workshop down in the cellars, and clouds of white steam and gray mist used to come out of the stairs and float away out into the upper windows. What does he do with himself all day? said Rover Random to Rover. Do? said the moon dog. Oh, he's always pretty busy, though he seems busier than I have seen him for a long time since you arrived. Making dreams, I believe. What does he make dreams for? Oh, for the other side of the moon. No one has dreams on this side. The dreamers all go round to the back. Rover Random sat down and scratched. He didn't think the explanation explained. The moon dog would not tell him any more all the same, and if you ask me, I don't think he knew much about it. However, something happened soon after that that put such questions out of Rover Random's mind altogether for a while. The two dogs went and had a very exciting adventure, much too exciting while it lasted, but that was their own fault. They went away for several days, much farther than they had ever been, been before since Rover Random came, and they did not bother to think where they were going. In fact, they went and lost themselves, and mistaking the way got farther and farther from the tower when they thought they were getting back. The moon dog said he had roamed all over the white side of the moon and knew it all by heart. <coughs> he was very apt to exaggerate. But eventually he had to admit that the country seemed a bit strange. I'm afraid it's a very long time since I came here, he said, and I'm beginning to forget it a bit. As a matter of fact, he had never been there before at all, unawares they had wandered too near to the shadowy edge of the dark side where all sorts of half-forgotten things linger, and paths and memories get confused. Just when they felt sure that at last they were on the right way home, they were surprised to find some tall mountains rising before them, silent, bare, and ominous, and these the moon dog made no, no pretense of ever having seen before. They were gray, not white, and looked as if they were made of old cold ashes, and long dim valleys lay among them, without a sign of life. Alright, and a little quick, quick break, and then I'll probably just read a little bit longer next time. So yeah, now they're getting into the mysterious, pretty much dark side of the moon. The mysterious, uh, <laughs> mysterious and unknown side, at least, I mean, I mean, at least in this story it is. So, um, <laughs> and it would, it would make sense that all the, um, the creepy, unknown and mysterious things would be living on the dark side. Um, I suppose. <laughs> and I do like it. <clears throat> oh, where was it, man? Um, unawares, they had one or two near to the shadowy edge of the dark side where all sorts of half-forgotten things linger and paths and memories get confused. I really like that vibe. Just like, <clears throat> he can like make like one sentence and just have that curiosity just really like pound inside you like oh i actually wonder what's gonna go happen next <laughs> which is pretty cool i just love how we can do that in just a couple of sentences so 
I'm excited, so I think I'm just gonna, that was a quick summary, and I think I'm just gonna go right, right back into it, so. Then it began to snow. It often does snow on the moon, but the snow, as they call it, is usually nice and warm, and quite dry, and turns into fine white sand and all blows away. This was more like our sort. It was wet and cold, and it was dirty. It makes me homesick, said the moon dog. It's just like the stuff that used to fall in the town where I was a puppy. On the world, you know. Oh, the chimneys there. Tall as moon trees and the black smoke and the red furnace fires. I get a bit tired of white at times. It's very difficult to get really dirty on the moon. This rather shows up the moon dog's low taste. And as, and as there was no such towns on the world hundreds of years ago, you could also see that he exaggerated the length of time since he fell over the edge a very great, great deal, too. However, just at that moment, a especially large and dirty flake hit him in the left eye, and he changed his mind. I think this stuff has missed its way and fallen off the beastly old world, he said. Rat and rabbit hit. <laughs> and we seem to have missed our way altogether, too. Bat and bother it. Let's find a hole to creep in. It took some time to find a hole of any sort, and they were very wet and cold before they did. In fact, so miserable that they took the first shelter they came to, and no precautions, which are the first things you ought to take in unfamiliar places on the edge of the moon. The shelter they crawled into was not a hole, but a cave, and a very large cave, too. It was dark, but it was dry. This is nice and warm, said the moon dog, and he closed his eyes and went off into his doze almost immediately. Ow, he yelped, not long afterwards, waking straight up dog fashion out of a comfortable dream. Much too warm. He jumped up. He could hear little Roverandum barking away further inside the cave, and when he went to see what was up, he saw a trickle of fire creeping along the floor towards them. He did not feel homesick for red furnaces just then, and he seized little Roverandum by the back of his little neck and bolted out of the cave as quick as lightning and flew up to a peak of stone just outside. There the two sat in the snow, shivering and watching, which was very silly of them. They ought to have flown off home, or anywhere, faster than the wind. The moon dog did not know everything about the moon, as you see, or he would have known that this was the lair of the great white dragon, the one that was only half afraid of the man and scarcely that when he was angry. The man himself was a bit bothered by this dragon. That dreaded creature was what he called him when he referred to him at all. All the white dragons originally came come from the moon, as you probably know, but this one had been to the world and back, as so he had learned a thing or, thing or two. He fought the red dragon and care dragon in Merlin's time, as you will find in all the more up-to-date history books, after which the other dragon was very red. Later, he did lots more damage in the three islands, and went to live on the top of Snowdon for a time. People did not bother to climb up while that lasted, except for one man, and the dragon got him drinking out of a bottle. That man finished in such a hurry that he left the bottle on the top, and his example had been followed by many people since. A long time since, and not until the dragon had flown off to, <laughs> to Gwynfa, sometime after King Arthur's disappearance, at a time when dragon's tails were esteemed a great delicacy by the Saxon kings. Gwynfa is not so far from the world's edge, and it is an easy flight from there to the moon for a dragon to so titanic and so enormously bad as this one had become. He now lived on the moon's edge, for he was not quite sure how much the man in the moon could do with his spells and contravances. All the same, he actually dared at times to interfere with the color scheme. Sometimes he let real red and green flames out of his cave when he was having a dragon feast, or was in a tantrum and clouds of smoke were frequent. Once or twice he had been known to turn the whole moon red, or put it out altogether. On such, com on such uncomfortable occasions, 
The man in the moon shut himself up in his dock, and all he said was, that dreaded creature again. He never explained what creature or where he lived. He simply went down into the cellars, uncorked his best spells, and got things cleared up as quick as possible. Alright, cool. I actually kind of like that, and I, I know I said I was going to read for a little while, but <laughs> I just want to say that it's really cool that it's just like the phases of the moon. <laughs> he <laughs> pretty much he's just explaining how the kind of how the, the cycles of the moon um, are actually made in the story where it's actually <laughs> this dragon who puffs out smoke uh, a little at a time until the moon is pretty much um, you know considered like you know all shadowed all smoky and explains why there's like a full moon and there's like a you know half and crescent and then like you know a whole new moon and all that stuff I just thought it was really crazy and then of course like the like you know like the harvest like the red moon which is really cool and it's only because the dragon is puffing out all this fire and stuff and like I saw that's creative I like that sort of stuff you know <laughs> and I like I don't know if it's like I don't know if it's like his original idea because of this story that the whole phases of the moon thing but I find it very fascinating so uh, back to it again now you know all about it and if the dogs had known half as much, they would never have stopped there. But stop they did, at least as long as it has taken me to explain about the white dragon. And by that time, the whole of him, white with green eyes and leaking green fire at every joint and snorting black smoke like a steamer, had come out of the cave. Then he let off the most awful bellow. The mountains rocked and echoed, and the snow dried up. Avalanches tumbled down and waterfalls stood still. That dragon had wings, like the sails that ships had when they were still ships and not steam engines. And he, did not, and he did not disdain to kill anything from a mouse to an emperor's daughter. He meant to kill those two dogs, and he told them so several times when he got up into the air. That was his mistake. They both whizzed off their rock like rockets, and went away down the wind at a pace that Mew himself would have been proud of. The dragon came after them, flapping like a flap dragon and snapping like a snapdragon, knocking the tops of mountains off and setting all the sheep bells ringing like a town on fire. Now you see why they had all had bells. Very luckily, down the wind was the right direction. Also, a most stupendous rocket went up from the tower as soon as the bells got frantic. It could be seen all over the moon like a golden umbrella bursting into a thousand silver tassels, and it caused an unpredictable fall of shooting stars on the world not long after. If it was a guide to the poor dogs, it was also meant as a warning to the dragon, but he had got far too much upstream, too much steam up, there you go, to take any notice. Oof. So the chase went fiercely on. If you had ever seen a bird chasing a butterfly, and if you can imagine a more than gigantic bird chasing two perfectly insignificant butterflies among white mountains, then you can just begin to imagine the twisting, dodging, hair-breath escapes, and the wild zigzag rush of that flight home. More than once, before they, even, before they got even halfway, Roverandum's tail was singed by the dragon's breath. What was the man of the moon doing? Well, he let off a truly magnificent rocket, and after that, he said, drat that creature, and also, drat those puppies. They will bring on an eclipse before it is due. And then he went down in the cellars and uncorked a dark black spell that looked like a jellified tar in honey, and smelt like the 5th of November and cabbage boiling over. At that very moment, the dragon swooped up right above the tower and lifted a huge claw to bat Rub random, bat him right off into the blank nowhere. But he never did. The man in the moon shot the spell up out of the lower t window and hit the dragon splosh on the stomach, where all dragons are, are peculiarly tender, and knocked him crank sideways. He lost all his wits and flew bang into a mountain, 
before he get he could get his steering right. And it was difficult to say which was most damaged. His nose or the mountain. Both were out of shape. So the two dogs fell in through the top window, and never got back their breath for a week. And the dragon slowly made its lopsided way home, where he rubbed his nose for months. The next eclipse was a failure, for the dragon was too busy licking his tummy to attend to it. And he never got the black splashes off where the spell hit him. I am afraid they will last forever. They call him the Mottled Monster now. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny. <laughs> the Mottled Monster. And I think... I don't have much time because my battery is running low, so I'm going to do a few more pages and hope for the best. So, here we go. So, the dragon is defeated. Oh, yeah, by the way. Man of the Moon is in charge, and after a ferocious flight back to the tower, uh, Man of the Moon is, is mad, but he ends up saving the dogs because... Because, just because. Because <laughs> he loves them, I guess. So, uh, <laughs> kind of a short summary. does... That's just kind of how it is, so... Uh, back to it here. The next day, the man on the moon looked at Rover Random and said, That was a narrow squeak. You seem to ex have explored the white side pretty well for a young dog. I think when you have got your breath back, it will be time for you to visit the other side. Can I come too? asked the moon dog. It wouldn't be good for you, said the man, and I don't advise you to. You might see things that would make you more homesick than fire and chimney stacks, and that would turn out as bad as dragons. The moon dog did not blush, because he w could not, and he did not say anything, but he went down and sat in the corner and wondered how much the old man knew of everything that went on, and everything that was said, too. Also for a little while, he wondered what exactly the old man meant, but that did not bother him long. He was a light-hearted fellow. As for Rover Random, when he had got his breath back a few days later, a man on the moon came and whistled for him. Then down and down they went together down the stairs and into the cellars which were cut inside the cliff and had small windows looking out out of the side of the precipice over the wide places of the moon, and then down secret steps that seemed to lead right under the mountains, until a long while they came to a completely dark place, and stopped, The Rover Random's head went on turning giddily after the miles of corkscrewing downwards. In complete darkness the man in the moon shone palely all by himself like a glowworm, and that was all the light they had. It was quiet enough, or it was quite enough, though, to see the door by, a big door in the floor. This the old man pulled up, and it was, and as it was lifted, darkness seemed to well up out of the opening like a fog, so that Rover Random could no longer see even the faint glimmering of the man through it. Down you go, good dog, said his voice out of the blackness, and you won't be surprised to be told that Rover Random was not a good dog, and would not budge. He backed into the furthest corner of the little room and set his ears back. He was more frightened of that hole than, than of the old man. But it was not any good. The man in the moon simply picked him up and dropped him plump into the black hole, and he fell and fell into nothing. Rover Random heard him calling out already far above him. Drop straight and then fly on with the wind. Wait for me at the other end. That ought to have comforted him, but it did not. Rover Random always said afterwards that he did not think even falling over the world's edge could be worse and that anyway it was the nastiest part of all his adventures, and still made him feel as if he had lost his tummy whenever he thought of it. You can tell he is still thinking of it when he cries and twitches in his sleep on the hearthrug. All the same, it came to an end. After a long while, his falling gradually slowed down, until at last he almost stopped. The rest of the way, he had to use his, he had to use his wings, and it was like flying up, up through a big chimney, luckily with a strong draught helping him along. Jolly glad he was when he got at last to the top. There he lay panting at the edge of the hole at the other end, waiting obediently and anxiously for the man in the moon. It was a good while before he had appeared, 
and Rove Random had time to see that he was at the bottom of a deep, deep, dark valley, ringed round with low, dark hills. Black clouds seemed to rest upon their tops, and beyond the clouds was just one star. Suddenly, the little dog felt very sleepy. A bird in some gloomy bushes nearby was singing a drowsy song that seemed strange and wonderful to him after the little dumb birds on the other side to which he had got used. He shut his eyes. Wake up, you doglet, called the voice, and Roveranda bounced up just in time to see the man climbing out of the hole on a silver rope with which a large gray spider, much larger than himself, was fastening to a tree nearby. The man climbed out. Thank you, he said to the spider, and now be off. And off the spider went and was glad to go. There are black spiders on the dark side, poisonous ones, if not as large as the monsters on the white side. They hate anything white or pale or light, and especially pale spiders, which they hate like rich relations that pay infrequent visits. The gray spider dropped back down the rope into the hole, and a black spider dropped out of the tree at the same moment. Now then, cried the old man to the black spider, come back there. That is my private door, and don't you forget it. Just make me a nice hammock from those two yew trees, and I'll forgive you. It's the longest climb down and up through the middle of the moon, said, he said to Rover Random, and I think a little rest before they arrive would do me good. They are very nice, but they need a good deal of energy. Of course, I would, I could take to wings, only I wear them out so fast. Also, I would mean widening the hole, as my size and wings would hardly fit, and I'm, and I'm a beautiful rope climber. Now what do you think of this side, the man continued, dark with a pale sky, while Tother was pale with a dark sky, eh? Quite a change, only there is not much more real color here than there. Not what I call real color, loud and lots of it together. There are a few gleams under the trees, if you look. Fireflies and diamond beetles and ruby moths and such like. Too tiny, though. Too tiny like all the bright things on this side. And they live a terrible life of it. What with owls like eagles and as black as coal, and crows like vultures and as numerous as sparrows. And all these black spiders. It's the black velvet bob owlers flying all together in clouds that I personally like least. They won't ever get out of my way. I hardly dare give out a glimmer, or they all get tangled in my beard. Still, this side has its charms, young dog, and one of them is that nobody and no doggy on earth has ever seen it before, when they were awake, except you. Then the man suddenly jumped into the hammock, which the black spider had been spinning for him while he was talking, and went fast asleep in a twinkling. Wolf Random sat alone and watched him, with a weary eye for black spiders too. Little gleams of firelight, red, green, gold, and blue, flashed and shifted here and there beneath the dark, windless trees. The sky was pale with strange stars above the floating wisp of velvet clouds. Thousands of nightingales seemed to be singing in some other valley, faint beyond the nearer hills. And then Rover Random heard the sound of children's voices, or the echo of the echo of their voices, coming down a sudden, soft-staring breeze. He sat up and barked the loudest bark he had barked <laughs> since this tale began. Bless me, cried the man in the moon, jumping up right awake, straight out of the hammock onto the grass and nearly onto Roe Random's tail. Have they all arrived already? Who? asked Roe Random. Well, if you didn't hear them, what did you <laughs> what did you yap for? said the old man. Come on, this is the way. Alright, so, uh, a strange little tale, I suppose. Uh, the man knows the way out, but he is not quite there. <laughs> Uh, and he just pretty much takes a nice little nap before he's just like, okay, now I, I suppose we can go now. And um, I think just because I uh, <laughs> didn't really plan plan the thing out very well, I'll read a couple more pages and then I'll be done. So 
I will be reading that also because it is running low on battery. So, here we go. They went down a long gray path, marked at the sides with faintly luminous stones and overhung with bushes. It led on and on, and the bushes became pine trees, and the air was filled with the smell of pine trees at night. Then the path began to climb, and after a time they came to the top of the lowest ring in the ring of hills that had shut them in. Then Roverandum looked down into the next valley, and all the nightingales stopped singing, like turning off a tap, and children's voices floated up clear and sweet, for they were singing a fair song with many voices blended to one music. Down the hillside raced and jumped the old man and the dog together. My word, the man in the moon could leap from rock to rock. Come on, come on, he called. I may be a bearded billy goat, or wild, or garden goat, but you can't catch me. And Roverandum had to fly to keep up with him. And so they came suddenly to a sheer precipice, not very high, but dark and polished like jet. Looking over, Roverandum saw below a garden in twilight, and as he looked it changed to the soft glow of an afternoon sun, but we could not see where the soft light came from that lit all that sheltered place and never strayed beyond. Gray fountains there were, and long lawns, and children everywhere, dancing sleepily, walking, walking dreamily, and talking to themselves. Some stirred, if just waking from deep sleep. Some were already running, wide awake, and laughing. They were digging, gathering flowers, building tents and houses, chasing butterflies, kicking balls, climbing trees, and they were all singing. Where do they all come from? asked Roverandum, bewildered and delighted. From their homes and beds, of course, said the man. And how do they get here? That I ain't going to tell you at all, and you'll never find out. You are lucky, and so is anyone, to get here by any way at all. But the children don't come by, by your way at any rate. Some come often, and some come seldom, and I make most of the dream. Some of it they bring with them, of course, like lunch to school, and some, I am sorry to say, the spiders make. But not in this valley, and not if I catch them at it. And now let's go and join the party. And before we do, <laughs> one last little... Uh, <laughs> illustration of the little valley that they are pretty much going through which has pretty much all of the children's dreams so they pretty much go to the moon for dreams which you know only makes sense so <laughs> I think it only makes sense that they're to the moon when they dream and that the dark evil spiders pretty much weave the nightmares um, for the children which makes sense I think it's actually a pretty cool idea so <laughs> onward we go <clears throat> The cliff of jet sloped steep, steeply down. It was much too smooth even for a spider to climb. Not that any spider even dared to try, for he might slide down, but neither he nor he nor anyone else could get up again. And in that garden were hidden sentinels, not to mention the man in the moon with whom no party was complete, for they were his own parties. And now he and he now slid bang into the middle of this one. He just sat down and tobagged swish right into the midst of a crowd of children with Roe Random rolling on top of him, quite forgetting that he could fly, or could have flown, for when he picked himself up at the bottom he found that his wings had gone. What's that little dog doing? said a small boy to the man. Roe Random was going round and round like a top, trying to look at his own back. Looking for his wings, my boy. He thinks he has rubbed them off on the tobacco run, but they're in my pocket. No wings allowed down here. People don't get out of here without leave, do they? No, Daddy Longbeard, said about twenty children all at once, and one boy caught hold of the old man's beard and climbed it up to his shoulder. Rove Random expected to see him turned into a moth, or a piece of India rubber or something on the spot. But, my word, you're a bit of a rope climber, my boy, said the man. I'll have to give you lessons. And he tossed the boy right up into the air. He did not fall down again, not a bit of it. 
he stuck up in the air, and the man in the moon threw him a silver rope that he slipped out of his pocket. Just climb down that quick, he said, and down the boy slithered into the old man's arms, where he was well tickled. You'll wake up if you laugh so if you laugh so loud, said the man, and he put him down on the grass and walked off into the crowd. Roborandum was left to amuse himself, and he was just making for a beautiful yellow ball, just like my one just like my own at home, he thought. When he heard a voice, he knew. There is my little dog, it said. There is my little dog. I always thought he was real. Fancy him being here, when I've looked and looked all over the sands and called and whistled every day for him. As soon as Roverandom heard that voice, he sat up and begged. My little begging doll, dog, <laughs> said little boy too, of course, and he ran up and patted him. Where have you been to? Well, all Roverandom could say at first was, can you hear what I'm saying? Of course I can, said little boy too, but when mummy brought you home before, you wouldn't listen to me at all, although I did my best bark talk for you and I don't believe you tried to say much to me either. You seem to be thinking of something else. Roverandum said, said how sorry he was, and he told the little boy how he had fallen out of his pocket, and all about Samothos and Mew and many of the adventures he had since he was lost. That is how the little boy and the brothers got to know about the odd fellow in the sand, and learned a lot of other useful things they might otherwise have missed. Little boy, too, thought that Roverandum was a splendid name. I shall call you that, too. And don't forget that you still belong to me. Then they had a game with the ball, and a game of hide-and-seek, and a run and a long walk, and a rabbit hunt, with no result, of course, except, except excitement. The rabbits were exceedingly shadowy, and much splashing in the ponds, and all kinds of other things one after another for endless ages, and they got to like one another better and better. The little boy was rolling over and over on the dewy grass in a very bedtime-ish light, but no one seems to mind white grass or bedtime in that place and the little dog was rolling over and over with him, and standing on his head like no dog on earth ever has done since Mother Hubbard's dead dog did. And the little boy was laughing until he vanished quite suddenly and left Roverandum all alone on the lawn. He's waked up, that's all, said the man in the moon, who suddenly appeared. Gone home, and about time too. Why, it's only a quarter of an hour before his breakfast time. He'll miss his walk on the sand this morning. Well, well, I'm afraid it's our time to go too. And I think that's a good stopping point because it kind of like uh, pictures the the way that dreams kind of uh, <laughs> work in the uh, in the world, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a fun fun part. And I know that I have a lot <laughs> a lot more to go because that was only a, a twenty page read, and. Uh, yeah, that's a 40 minutes, so this might actually be a part four. <laughs> Whoops, I'm sorry, guys. But we'll see when the next time comes. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty much it explains how dreams are represented, and he actually gets to be re reunited with the, the boy that he was pretty much sold, I guess, to since he was a toy. <laughs> and he gets to talk with the boy and kind of just bond with him, which is pretty nice. And then the Man of the Moon probably just lets it happen because it's like, hey... It's, it's some good times, so. <laughs> really cool stuff. Um, and I really like how, uh, just just the way that the whole moon <laughs> atmosphere and time and concept kind of works out with Tolkien and his his works. It's just kind of cool and fascinating that just, it just makes perfect sense in the story. And the way that he weaves all these topics and themes into it is awesome, so. Uh, but yeah, so that is all that I have for this episode. Um, I will try <laughs> my best 
to finish the book with uh, three parts. Uh, I just wanted to kind of get it out of the way for the year. But I hope that you guys have uh, enjoyed my my reading of this short story. I definitely have. I love revisiting all these these short stories that I've read many many years ago, and then just going back to it again and seeing exactly why I enjoy these. So it's a very fun and thrilling tale. I feel like so. Uh, yeah. So, uh, as always, uh, just be sure to stay tuned um, for more content. I definitely enjoy uh, making every episode and just reading. And I know that each time that I do an episode, it's just further along the progress. And I, I just, I just really enjoy doing it. So, uh, be sure to subscribe and follow me and all that fun stuff. Of course, so that you never miss uh, another episode. And of course, as always. Just stay tuned for the next episode. And may the light of Elbereth be with you all. Farewell! <laughs>